Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Captain Jonathan Taze drives. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. And like our YouTube page, as well as all the videos that are posted on the Blackhawks YouTube page as well. Colby Cohen, Kaylee Chelios joined for this week's edition. And why don't we just get right into it, Colby, for the first time since January 28th. The captain, Jonathan Taze, made his return to the lineup on Saturday night. Pretty incredible to, to see him get back uh, after what's been a, a pretty, I would say challenging, but that doesn't really sell what he's been going through. Um lately but I think for the fans for the team for coaches for everybody all Blackhawks fans it was pretty uh, exciting to be able to see him and how loud the United Center was that night when he made his return to the lineup for the first time Colby what'd you think well uh, the Jonathan Taves thing is important but I, I have to at least quickly give you a little bit of credit because I think Chris might have just gotten fired from introing this podcast because that that was the best intro that was the best intro we've had this entire season so Chris is Chris might be on the hot seat he he might be he might be on the hot seat from the intro to the podcast because that was a very very pleasant um intro so well done for that one Kaylee and on the Jonathan Taves topic you know I think those moments send shockwaves through the NHL I really do and the amount of people that reached out to me um, just from out of this market excited that Taves was back in the lineup it was the game was on national TV which I think was a was a cool added bonus so fans all over the US uh, Canada could could see the game and um, you know, for me personally, getting to see him take the ice, this is a guy that, you know, I've, I've seen from afar his whole career. I've always respected him a lot. And then getting to know him over the last couple of years being here, you know, just makes you like him and respect him even more. Seeing the challenges that he's gone through with his, you know, personal health situation and, you know, the things that he's dealt with and, you know, I, you and I had been talking about this leading up to it in the studio about, you know, what we thought, did we think we would see him again and how much, how great we thought it would be to see him again. And, and I'll be honest, I really didn't know, um, based on, he wasn't really on the ice. He wasn't really working out a whole lot. He was trying to kind of get himself back, uh, feeling good. And, um, it, it was great. I think starting lineup when they called his name, the building was as loud as it's been all year. And then to see him get an assist and, and set up that Athanasiu goal, you know, he puts the one arm up, the, the celebration, and, the, and then Athanasiu comes running over to him. You know, those are, those are incredible moments, Kelly. You've lived them at this uh, arena with this organization for a lot longer than I have um, with the history that you have here. But um, it, it was one of those moments that at least I felt, you know, was, was a chilling moment. I agree with you. I liked Athanasiu's uh, response. It was a really emotional reaction. Looked right at him, and Taze probably could have had a couple more points, maybe a goal or two earlier in that. The two game. on one, right? I mean, two on one. I mean, he. I thought it was great. <laughs> Obviously, it's going to take him some time to get him some timing back, but I, I know that's not really at the. It's not really what he's focused on necessarily. It's it's it was incredible just to see him do it. I think more so for the fans and for his teammates than anybody because he's still not a hundred percent healthy. And the biggest question, like you said, has been 
what is he going through on a day-to-day basis? What has it been like to be him? And he's been pretty private for the most part during this time to be able to recover. And then I thought he was super genuine and, and generous with his time talking to the media about a little bit about what it's been like behind the scenes. So to see the reaction from his teammates, from the fans, uh, I think it it showed just how much he means to this organization and what a big moment that was for him to be able to put the Blackhawks sweater on for potentially the last time. And I remember thinking right when Double A scored that goal, like that very well could have been his last point potentially. That's what that kind of feeling and emotion was like watching that game, which was sad. But I don't want to say too much about that considering he hasn't said he's going to retire um, or what his next move has been other than taking care of himself, which he deserves. So great to see him back. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you kind of think about all the great moments. And, and I, I think, again, like unbelievable for the fans in, in the United Center and, and here in Chicago. But I do believe that it's it's a – he's the type of player that has the magnitude that the whole hockey world is watching. It's, it's the whole, um, you know, community. And I think everybody has sort of seen what he's gone through from a distance. And, and, you know, the thing that's, that I didn't ever know about Johnny that I learned coming here and getting to know him was just kind of how intelligent he is off the ice and the amount of, time he spends sort of learning about different things and learning about, um, you know, different communities and different health uh, practices and nutrition practices and just all the different maybe trainings that he's done, you know, physical training that he's done and different methods. And, and he really is like one of the most intelligent hockey players that I've probably ever met. Um, you know, he spends hours and hours reading books constantly on, on different things, you know, ranging from leadership to, um, you know, health and wellness. So I, I hope, you know, just as somebody who likes to watch hockey games, I hope Johnny is able to continue to play because I will say this, he didn't feel good this season, but he still is a good hockey player. Like even at let's give him a 70% or 50%. I mean, he was on pace this year for 25 to 30 goals. Um, you know, and, and he, by his own standard, Kaylee wasn't even playing well. And so he comes back after not playing for two months, he wins eight out of 12 faceoffs. He just, he's still got so much game and I know there's more to it. And I, I hope whatever decision he makes is what's best for him. And that's it. But as a, as a hockey fan, I, I selfishly hope we get to continue to watch him play where, wherever that may be here or elsewhere. Um, because like he's, I it just, you like watching him as a, as a fan. Yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's been an emotional journey with Kane leaving and uncertainty with Jonathan Taze, but Like you said, I think the last two years battling his health has given him a lot of perspective and he's been able to, to find, you know, help and and interests in other ways that are helping him get through this. So we hope the best for Taze. Great to see him in the lineup, really respect what the coaching staff and Kyle Davidson have done with him and allowing him to take his time and just being supportive and, and giving him whatever he needs until he feels like he can play to the best of his abilities and enjoy coming to the rink every single day. So with that, kind of want to look more into Kyle Davidson. He's been uh, so busy 
having a baby much like yourself. So a first time dad going through the trade deadline, both of you actually for the first time as new dads this year, but for him, especially uh, what he's been able to do, the decisions he's had to make regarding Kane and starting the rebuild, which really began last season. I thought it was really interesting. The athletic put out a great article about his help and involvement with the general manager for the bears, Ryan Poles and he wanted to kind of tap into Kyle Davidson's brain who, you know, from what I understand, talking to other people who work with him on a daily basis, he's brilliant. He's yeah. a really smart guy. He's been within the Hawks organizations for over 12 years now. So he understands the Blackhawks better than anybody. And um, Colby, what are your thoughts just on GMs from different leagues, professional yeah. sports kind yeah. of, getting information and getting a different perspective and how that might influence for the bears in their instance, what they were doing at the trade deadline as well. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, you know, they're both in similar situations where they're both sort of in this rebuild mode and, and trying to rebuild from the draft and, and development. And they're not looking to go out and sign 20 free agents and, and, you know, put band-aids on, on big, gaping holes. And so you kind of look at some of the things Kyle's done, whether it was trading Kirby, trading to Brinkat, and we're, we're now we're kind of a, a full season out from some of that. And, you know, to me, like you look at the year Alex to Brinkett had, he's got 25, 26 goals. And then you start to think about that nine or $10 million qualifying offer. And I'm like, geez, maybe Kyle really did know what he was doing there. And maybe he, he got the max value for him at that point. Think about trying to trade to Brinkat at the trade deadline with a $9 million qualifying offer. They wouldn't have even been able to get a first round pick. They, they wouldn't have been able to. So he's made good moves and we're, we're a year out from these moves and we're starting to see them come to fruition. And, you know, to me, he caught the eye of Ryan Pulse the GM for the bears. And, you know, reading that article, Ryan Poles reached out to Kyle, um, wanted to pick his brain to see how they value draft picks versus players versus prospects versus futures. And I thought that was awesome. And I really did because, you know, we're all armchair GMs. You know, we sit around, we talk about the moves we would have made, we wouldn't have made. You know, you and I get to do Shark Tank at the studio where we come up with new rules or trades or whatever. And it's all hypothetical. But very few people will ever occupy the job as a general manager of a major pro sports team, right? There's 30 teams in every, in, on all the leagues, give or take, four sports here. There's big sports, obviously, in Europe, but we're just talking North America. So, you know, we're talking about, what, 100 people out of how many people that live in the United States? You know, a few hundred million people. So... I think that it's cool to see these general managers coming together to learn from one another, to pick each other's brain. I think that's only going to help Kyle. It's only going to help Ryan Poles. You want to hear how they're looking at things. And, and again, because you and I can sit here and give our opinion on everything. And, and we might be right sometimes. We might be wrong sometimes. But you and I have never sat in that chair. We just haven't. Even Hall of Fame hockey players have never sat in that chair and been a general manager. And so I'm all for it. I love it. I think those guys, you know, bouncing things off one another is really awesome. I wouldn't be shocked if there was some some back and forth between the Hawks and the Cubs based on Jeff Greenberg coming, you know, into the front office. So, you know, I don't know where you sit on that, Kaylee. I don't know how, how strongly you, you feel or, or if you think, 
you know, those are good ideas. But, you know, knowing Kyle to be collaborative, um, I, I like it. And I think it's only going to strengthen the Blackhawks' opportunities to, to kind of learn and, you know, get ahead of the competition in, in some of these other markets. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it takes a lot of great minds now to be able to do what the Blackhawks have done successfully already in a year and a half into the rebuild. Like you'd mentioned the Debrinket trade and bringing in Jeff Greenberg, who has a lot of different perspective. They have great analytics with kind of a new, um, new team of people, new developments, new technology. Um, you know, it's really brand new, so they're still getting used to it, but it's it's changing the game. I'm eager to see what's going to happen in a few years from now, but it seems like Kyle and the staff are ahead of it. They're on top of it. They're trying to be innovative, and you know, they're a very confident group, too. I, I really like the way Kyle Davidson handles um, his business, the way he goes, goes about making extremely difficult decisions and the way he articulates that to both the fans, the players, management. Uh, I think he's done a really nice job and is really well-respected for that, and it definitely helps to be able to bring in perspective. Um, I'm all about it. I think it's been fun getting to, to learn kind of the direction that both the NHL wants to go and now the Blackhawks want to go with all this new age technology. And like you said, Hall of Famers can sit in that seat and it's going to be a lot different perspective with their experience, you know, how they value players, who they're looking at, than somebody like Kyle Davidson. And there's different teams of analytics brought in for someone like a Hall of Famer versus somebody like Kyle Davidson who has a different background and different needs. Um, so I, I think it's it's really exciting and I'm excited to see Hopefully, all these major sports teams in Chicago come together and start getting really hot at the same time the way Tampa Bay did while I was there because it just puts the city on fire. And I think we all need a little bit more of that. So I loved that. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing more Cubs, Bears, and Hawks all together. Great stuff from that article with Kyle Davidson. Quick transition, not a good one. This is where we need Vosters, but... Let's look into uh, NHL awards. Just a quick kind of Hart Trophy, Norris Trophy discussion. Colby, former defenseman, um, Eric Carlson, back on the map. Pretty insane year for him, statistically, numbers, what he's been able to do with the San Jose Sharks. Kind of an interesting year. He's obviously kind of the front runner for the Norris. There's not really anybody else that's putting together a season that – competes with his numbers but I've also not really seen a defenseman that low in the standings win a Norris trophy either so it's just kind of a weird year for it yeah um there's not a whole lot of competition for him but who do you how do you see Eric Carlson wearing the Norris and and winning it excuse me and like what's who's close yeah I mean look I I think it's his award this season but I'll just say this. I think we need to kind of revisit the Norris Trophy situation, and I think we need to create a best offensive and best defensive defenseman because um, for years I've kind of, you know, like you kind of look at a guy like Eric Carlson who's got all those points, um, but you're right. He's on the ice for a ton of goals against, and we're talking about a defenseman. Now, 
I mean, it's incredible what he's done offensively this year. And and you know what? He's been a lot better defensively. So I I want to I want to call a spade a spade with that. He really has. And I know his coach out there. I played for him for about five or six years, and I and I've asked him about that. And he said like he's he's way more committed to defense this year than he's been the last couple of seasons. So I think he wins the award, Kaylee. But I'd love to see them split that off. And I, and I'll give you a prime reason why. You know, you were in Tampa Bay for the for the run and. I've been beating this drum for years that like Ryan McDonough to me is probably the most underappreciated player in the whole NHL. Like I know how good Victor Hedman is and you know how good Victor Hedman is, but I just think Ryan McDonough, that, that style that he plays is so valuable. Like I don't think they win without him. I really don't. I think he's so important. The minutes he eats, the defensive plays he makes, the simple puck moving that he does. And, and I'd love to see a guy like him win a trophy for being the best defensive defenseman um, even though he is more than that. And, and there's other, um, there's other examples. I just, I, I, Ryan McDonough is just one of my favorite players to watch. He's also an awesome guy that, that I'm, you know, always rooting for, um, you know, got to play with him when we were a little bit younger at the national team and against him in college and all this and that. So, you know, I, I'd love to see the NHL go to that. So this way we can recognize Eric Carlson and Ryan McDonough for having, you know, great seasons. And, and I, again, I, I know Max season has not been as good this year in Nashville. He's dealt with a ton of injuries, but uh, you know, there, there are other worthy defensive defensemen out there that I think would, would, would be worthy of that. So I'm not sure how you would feel. I mean, I'm guessing your dad probably won a couple Norris trophies, right? Um, I, I don't know for sure, but I would just assume based on his career and, and I would, I'd be curious you know, to get your perspective on it. Um, because yeah, like defensemen can be different and still effective. Yeah. I think it's really hard, but I'm, I'm with you like watching Ryan McDonough. I remember the GM for Tampa Bay watched a game that he played against Colorado and the way he defended two on ones in his performance. He had said it was the, one of the best, if not like the best performances by a defenseman he had ever seen in his life, which was pretty like coming from, I, from Julian. Was, that's amazing. Yeah. It was, it, he was like, unbelievable in that but you're right it's an interesting thing where I I do feel like it'd be nice to just have one but it's such a hard trophy to win when you've got it it just it really depends on your team mm -hmm. and style of play I mean, there's so many different factors that go into it as a defenseman as compared to some of the other trophies that forwards typically are going to win or a goaltender right um it's just not as black and white for defensemen but I'm with you I think It'd be nice to just have one. I like the idea of having one, but it it does kind of. I mean, the forwards kind of have two because they've got the selkie, and then they've got the yeah. you know the heart. I mean, so. Yeah, it, it yeah it's it's a good debate. I mean, yeah. I, I think at this point, yeah, you're right though. There are a lot of defensemen that are worthy of being considered the best in in that regard because it is you're supposed to be a great defenseman, not just an offensive defenseman. So. I, I wouldn't mind seeing that or figuring out some other way to be able to reward another player for their defensive ability more yeah. so than their production, especially in a year like this where it's kind of strange that the Sharks are nearing the bottom with the Hawks and Columbus and you get a Norris Trophy winner out of there. So it's it's like, it, it, I don't know, it's a, it's a little yeah. weird. It's a different year. It's not usually like this. There's usually maybe a little bit more. Um, well, because the years... Well, in the years that like Chara won or Dowdy won or Hedman won, I mean, you could make an argument that they were not only the best offensively, but they were the best defensively as well. I mean, those three guys. So 
I feel like yeah. now I'm arguing against my own original argument and I'm more siding with your on this every yeah. time. So I don't have a total answer yeah. for you because I like some of the years I'm like, I think it's fine with one. And some years you're like this year, it's like, well, this it's incredible what Carlson's doing. And not many have been able to do that, especially in recent years. But then, you know, where do we look at it from the defensive side and the standings? It, it's kind of an odd year where there's no one that's contending because of the production total from that defenseman. So We'll find out. I think it's going to be Carlson's too. Should be an exciting in awards. Let's jump to Hart. So the Hart Trophy. <laughs> this one. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> I think it's unanimous. Yes. Jesus. Yes. Trumps all. Um, okay. Is there another player, an unsung hero? Uh, you mentioned him before, and you like the Dallas Stars a lot. I really like Robertson and what he's been able to do, building off a rookie season and potentially, you know, earning a Hart Trophy nomination for me at least for what he's done for the stars in that top line but is there anybody else for you Colby that you would consider to be a heart or contending there with McDavid well I do I do love the Robertson thing because um he just picked off one of Mike Madano's um Mm -hmm. uh milestones and when you start picking off Mikey Madano you know who is in the breath for the best all-time American players um I don't think he is anymore because I think Patrick Kane is to me on you know I I don't actually think it's that close I think Kaner is here and then there's a couple of guys you know the the Madano and and Housley and Chelios are all and Roenick are like the next three or four guys right but uh, I think Robertson's is a good one. Um, you know, just kind of thinking about you know teams sort of at the top. I think I think Braden Point. I mean, he he's he's near. He just I think he just scored his 40th goal of the year. Um, I love the way that guy plays. I think I think if he was playing last year, I think Tampa probably gets another cup last year. I really do. I agree with you. I, I, I think I'm not sure there's a player more valuable to a great team than him. Um, which again, it's hard to, I mean, there's a lot of studs on that team, but I I think he's had a great year. I think McKinnon in the last couple of months, the way he's come back and pushed Colorado up the standings. But at the end of the day, it's all kind of hyperbole, right? Because McDavid is just a whole nother level of something we've just never really been able to see, at least in our generation of like watching hockey. Yeah, I agree. I hope to see him make a a push in the playoffs and go pretty far because it's something we haven't seen enough of in recent years. And it's going to be a great playoffs. I think this season, you mentioned Braden point matchup with Toronto, Tampa again, that's going to be big time. And just a lot of players McKinnon, like you said, in the last month, his highlight real goals and plays that he's been doing. um, It's just exciting. So there's a lot of great hockey players. McDavid obviously is, most likely going to win the heart this year, but uh, a lot of really strong candidates. It's hard. You feel bad for the other guys that probably are deserving of it, but hundred plus points. I mean, Poster not just scored his like fifty first and fifty second goal, and like yeah. he he'll he'll get maybe one vote. I mean, like it's it's going to be probably pretty close to unanimous. I mean, it, it really yeah. is, and and it. If he stays healthy, he he could win seven or eight of these things in a row. <laughs> like he's, he's <laughs> such a freak. He's so good. I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's going to be exciting. Well, very deserving. McDavid is a best player in the world. He's incredible. So he's going to run away with it at the awards for sure this year. And without further ado, let's transition to our interview for this week. She's done a tremendous job, was a former 
Beat reporter for the Carolina Hurricanes has a wealth of knowledge about hockey, culture, everything, and she was a lot of fun to sit down with this week and interview. Gave us a lot of great, interesting information, social media, players, fashion, everything. So without further ado, let's welcome Sarah Sim. All right, we are thrilled to welcome in a very special guest to the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. You know her as Sarah Siv. She's a reporter for Bleacher Report, Open Ice, and host of the podcast Too Many Men. Previously, she was a beat beat writer for The Athletic covering the Carolina Hurricanes. She has a tremendous social media following, over 79,000 followers on Twitter alone. Sarah, welcome to the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Are, Are you... In Boston right now, or, or are you on the road, or where are you at at this moment? Oh, yeah, I'm at my childhood home in Boston, in the Boston suburbs. It's been awesome. I thought I would hate living in my parents' basement again, but it actually has been so nice to catch back up with them because I was in Raleigh for four years, so it's been lovely. How, how are those home-cooked meals? Yeah, exactly. She just made steak, and oh. she slays it as always, so <laughs> who am I to complain, literally? I used to complain like I wanted to leave so bad, and now I would do anything to go back to my parents' house and kick it for a bit. That's really great for you, going back home to family, too. I'm sure it's been really nice having that kind of support. Yeah, and being around the Bruins this year has not hurt. Yeah, so true. Now, uh, really important question, but how has your cat handled this, you know, big life adjustment? Yeah, she's over there. I'm, I'm waiting for her to enter the broadcast at any moment. She does not care what I say, but she <laughs> has loved it because now there's multiple floors to live on, multiple places to jump and things to drop. So she loves it. Well, your cat, your cat is welcome on the Blackhawks Insider podcast at any moment if she so chooses. Uh, but it, it, it's great to have you on, really. Uh, Sarah, I have not met you in person yet, but I've actually been been following you on Twitter and, and social media platforms for a long time, well before I was in even in the running for the Blackhawks job, uh, when I was really only tangentially involved in hockey. I, I was doing college hockey for the Big Ten Network. I think I somehow came across your stuff as a Penn State grad, uh, you know, proud, proud Nittany Lion. There we go. At some point in, in that process, I, re- I remember discovering you on, on social media, and it's really been fun to follow your career, uh, especially as I've gotten in, more involved in hockey. You know, you, you, you do a great job of promoting the sport, but then also your own personal brand in a witty and humorous way. And uh, so it's, it's really cool to be able to do this. And I would just love to dive into a little bit of your backstory, like, how you really launched your career into this space. Can you can you give us a, as detailed of a version as you'd care to share? Well, you know how it is in the Big Ten, right? There, there's so <laughs> many good opportunities for students. So I, I kind of took one of those at Onward State, which is a student-run blog, learned the ropes there. And Penn State hockey went from club to D1 while I was there. So I guess that was just so fat. I'm really giving you like the whole thing, I guess. But Let's I get into really, the nitty-gritty here. Yeah, Let's go. Yeah. The Nittany Lion Gritty. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I was, Good one. <laughs> I was fascinated with the behind-the-scenes stuff about how Terry Pagula gave them all this money to, to build this um, – the what's it called? Oh, my God. Why, why can't I think about this right now? Um, Pagula, Pagula Arena. Ice Arena. Yeah. That would be what it's called. <laughs> and, um, how that all works. What should we name donors. this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. That worked out, and I just loved – talking to the coach about stuff and it was so much more than just kind of the 
on ice stuff that I thought reporting on a team would be, you know, and I, I kind of fell in love with telling stories of the guys and stuff like that and the story of the team. So from there, I just realized you could do that as a career, I guess. I don't know. I've always loved hockey and I love to write and I never, I was like, oh, I guess people, I, I didn't have like a big Twitter following at the time, but it was growing. And I think John Bucci-Gross reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm really enjoying your work because he's a college hockey guy. Like, keep it up and stay. I think that was the first time I was like, whoa, okay, maybe I will. And I got it. I dropped out of Penn State and covered the Penguins for a, li a little bit and then kind of wanted to go home, did more college hockey stuff, started working for EEI in Boston. Then I got a call from Craig Custance one day, who was the editor-in-chief at The Athletic. He was like, I think we have a good opportunity for a new young voice, but you're going to have to move to Carolina. I had never been there. I was like, they, they were like, I think Tom Dundon, the owner, called me and was like, I, I know we've been pretty bad for the past decade, but this year, Rod Brindamore, I'm telling you, he is going to change this franchise, and Tom Waddell is going to change this franchise, and they made the playoffs every single year since, and it was awesome being along for that ride. I get emotional. I miss it so much, and I, I wish the best for them, but it just got to a point during the pandemic where I miss my mommy like I, I miss my family I wanted to see I mean, it was like kind of now or never right where there were a few options I talked about with the athletic but none of them are Boston and it just got to a point where I want to try to make it here so I got in contact with BR Open Ice and I absolutely love what they're about just trying to make hockey fun and trying to make it look cooler I don't know I don't know it's with the TNT broadcast too so it's been really cool to see how both of those entities work together and how we're really trying to just make this enjoyable for a new audience. Well, there, there were lots of moments in, in your retelling there that, that resonated with me and my journey as well. You know, you, you have some kind of notion about where you want to end up career wise or where you want your career to go. But, but ultimately it, it just comes down to plugging and chugging, putting one foot in front of the other. And, and then you sort of see where the opportunities take you and I will also second the fact that I missed my mom too during the pandemic and I spent a ton of time at home as well. Just, I don't know, getting some kind of rest and relaxation, I suppose, but, uh, and my dad too, shout out, shout out, shout out to the old man there. But, um, you, you mentioned getting an endorsement from, from John Bucci gross, uh, and that was a real confidence boost for you. But at what point did you really feel like, um, you know, you were kind of, especially in a social media sphere, getting traction, racking up followers, and, and really kind of starting to make an impact in that space? I think it was definitely when I took the job in Carolina. I think I had the fast, not to brag about myself, but it was just interesting because it's not really about me, but it was I had the most fastest growing Twitter account in the athletic history just because people were really interested in the Hurricanes team, and there wasn't, there were a few local reporters, but there had never really been kind of like a national voice there not that I was a national but the athletic was a national thing that people were really excited about so I think that and like me telling jokes on Twitter and kind of for better or for worse bearing it all on Twitter like I, I think maybe people were just interested in that but it, it's wild to look back and see how that all happened like I never it doesn't even make sense to this day but hey if you want to read my tweets feel free <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really cool how you used and leveraged like social media to promote yourself and your brand. And Emily Kaplan came on and I really appreciated what she said about being authentically yourself and how that relates to people. And it's hard to make it without being that. But it's I like that you kind of carved your own path and kind of created your own 
um, journey. It's not really conventional working in sports or broadcast or, you know, like I remember when I went to school, I was like, okay, like, you know, you have to be sideline and that's going to be it. And everyone wanted to do NFL and stuff. So for you, like what parts of, of things did you like, like in, in your journey and what things kind of maybe pushed you away that allowed you and maybe motivated you to kind of create your own sort of brand? That's a great question. Um, you, you mentioned Emily Kaplan. We've talked a lot about social media and how she tries to stay off it sometimes. And I'm like always on it trying to stay off it too. I, I, it's so interesting. And then she didn't ever plan on being a sideline reporter or anything like that. And here she is. So all these paths that can lead you somewhere. I think the number one thing for me has been knowing or realizing that I don't have to pigeonhole myself, right? It's like when I started working for Lubitard too, now our podcast is with Meadowlark. They're like, why don't you talk about things that aren't just hockey? Why don't you try? I'm like, I don't really know. They're like, none of us do. We, this is, we just are talking like we're friends. We have opinions, whatever it is. I think like people. Yeah. You know, people yeah, that yeah. are right. entertain. Like I think realizing you can be more, you don't have to be you can have like a, a niche, a niche or whatever it could be stats, but I'm never going to be this like stat expert and I don't want to be, and I don't have to be, and I don't think I'm going to be a sideline person either, but I think I've always tried to figure out what it is about my Twitter, right? That makes people like randomly follow me the, the way that they do. And I know they don't have to, and I'm like, how do I make that into a career? And that is pretty unconventional, right? Like I, I think, I'm realizing I could try a little bit more entertainment side of stuff. And Levitard has definitely helped so much in that. The way their show is, it, they they had me on during the All-Star game. And it was just, you. it was like a, you're watching a movie and it's right there. So I think just realizing you can try more things than like you were told that you could, you know? And, and I, I would... Uh echo a lot of that too from from my own personal experience getting the Blackhawks job has given me this this platform and this and this pedestal that I haven't had before and so I, I'm I'm grappling with a lot of those same questions I think that that you had Sarah and maybe are are continuing to have as your career evolves just about finding your voice and do you have any advice for me? <laughs> or like, any, wow, anybody, my like, ego is stroked. <laughs> <laughs> like about like go like kind of like creating your niche on on uh, on social media like that. I would just say, not everybody has to be like. I, I think sometimes I try to emulate other people a little too much, and I'm like, okay, no, let me get back to like it, it feels kind of whatever, whatever you have that one thing that like people know you for whatever you can play into that or it, but you can also try new things. I don't, I think about this every day. Like you said, I still have questions about that, but I think connecting with people is probably the number one tool that I've used on Twitter that has really helped. Like just, I follow a lot of people back and I like to like have inside jokes with people. I don't know if that's like too parasocially and it gets a little exhausting, but I do think I wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for like the people that follow me and support my work. So I think that's kind of how it, I've made it all work, but I, everybody has a different thing and it's okay to kind of stray away from things and it, it'll always like your thing will always be there if you need to go back to it. You know, I don't know if that made any sense. No, <laughs> it, it, it 100, it 100% did. And uh, I, I like the point, like, how you said that, you know, social, we all know that social media can be toxic and I, I would like to get into that at some point later in this conversation, but also I, I think you, you have realized and you still understand that, that at the core social media is about 
connecting with other people. And that can be very rewarding as well. And, uh, and I think I, I really like what you said about that. So that was, I'm, I'm tracking 100%. Thanks so much. Can you give an example of, of like a post that you maybe like that surprised you that did really well or, or something personally that you, that you posted that you really are proud of or that you liked? The personal, yeah, the personal stories or whatever kind of get to me sometimes. Like I, I think, oh, motorcycle just went off, so my cat freaked out. <laughs> but I think probably my favorite was a few years ago um, when the Canes had the bunch of jerks thing, and um, Brian Burke had made all these comments, and I was like, Brian Burke's from my hometown, and I know him oh. and his family, so I just was kind of like the Canes fans were all over Twitter, just kind of crapping on him in a way that didn't sit right with me like it was a little too much and they could have been doing that to Don Cherry instead of Brian Burke they picked Brian Burke and I said guys listen there is a foundation there's Rangel. there she is there she is <laughs> right in the middle <laughs> there's a foundation that um well, he founded you can play for his late son Brendan who is openly gay and we lost him tragically in a car accident but he and his son, Patrick, who's in the Department of Player Safety, founded that. And I was just like, guys, I know I love Kane's Twitter and what you guys stand for. So wouldn't it be fun if we donated all this money to his foundation and then he acknowledged that he likes the bunch of jerks? So they donated like thousands of dollars and um, Brian wore a bunch of jerks shirt. And I just loved that like part of connection where you realize as much bad as there is on social media, you do have the power to use it for good sometimes. Well, and I, I would like to just ask you about, about the bull crap too. Um, because again, you know, I, I admire how you in, in some ways fight fire with fire when, when it comes to that. I mean, you, I, my approach to social media has been to put my head in the sand as much as I can and, you know, filter my mentions really, really severely and just try and tune out all of that outside noise, the, the, neg the negativity, even if that comes at the expense of a lot of positive, too. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to take the opposite approach and you don't seem to, to back down from uh, banter on Twitter. So, you know, can you can you take me through your philosophy on on that side of the game? Yeah, there's a few parts to this. I think if I could not be addicted to Twitter, I'd probably be able to block up the negativity better. But unfortunately, like no matter what I try, I always go back to like scrolling through Twitter. So I work on that. I've had, talked to a therapist for a few years who has really helped. And I talked to Emily Kaplan about this. And my therapist gave us both advice that was don't let their perception of you become your perception of you. And when you think about it, I can like enter the arena of these idiots because it's like they don't actually know me as a human. I know me and it's kind of strengthened who I think I am as a person. Like I know I'm not a bad person. So if someone's saying something about that or my looks or whatever, they're just trying to hurt me. They don't know me, but there's that. And then I think about what if I was myself 10 years ago, looking at all this, I'd like, I'd want somebody older in this position to stand up for themselves or maybe be like, okay, I'm not going anywhere. And I can say, what I want, I don't really know how to explain that, but I feel like for younger girls watching, I, I don't know if I'm like a great role model just because I'm not, I'm sometimes a little bit graphic, but I do think they should know they don't have to shut, sit down and shut up, even though 
they're allowed to, but like you can have the option to speak up. That's interesting. Well, you, yeah, how you, you both have thicker time? skin than I do. That that's that's all I'll say. <laughs> we I mean, have the stuff to. That, as the, women, this, we have to. The stuff that I see people say, I, I mean, it. I just, it's it's crazy. So I, I just, uh, I admire that. I I really do. Thank you. Is there like, do you have kind of rules like when to engage or like certain things not to entertain and engage? Because I've found that I feel like it's a very small percentage of people that kind of ruin social media for you. And you, it makes it seem like it's this mass amount of people that feel this certain way when something goes off. And I'm not as active as I should be on Twitter. Sometimes it's overwhelming thinking about having to create content all the time. I'm scared to put myself out there. But for you, when do you engage a somebody that's, you know, negative or not? Cause I know you've, you are really active and you do like to interact. And like you said, you, you, sometimes you need to stand up for yourself. So how do you pick your spots? And is there any Twitter beef that you're uh, pretty proud of yourself for? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. Sometimes it's risky and it doesn't always pay off. It usually does not pay off to respond to <laughs> I love, like, if I'm being honest, sometimes I'm like, why did I say The second yeah. it goes off, but my new thing lately has been, okay, I, I want to put this up for three minutes and then delete the tweet because it gives you the same satisfaction, I guess. But I don't know. Sometimes I try things and they don't stick, but... I like when I have something funny <laughs> I can respond to. Like if I have a good insult coming back, then I'm like, okay, this will make people laugh or whatever. But sometimes you're just having a bad day and you see the wrong thing. But it is so yeah. true that it's like, it doesn't matter how many people say nice things to you. You're going to focus on the bad one some days. But I like to now have boundaries or at least try where it's like, okay, did I sleep enough? Did I drink enough water? Oh, I can log on. <laughs> it's, I've been trying to use Instagram more too because you can filter things so much better through it that I'm just like trying to pivot to that. But at the same time, Twitter is always going to be, I just like to, I like to post. <laughs> I, like to, I do like to interact with people. It is a tough, like to this day, I haven't figured it out. So if you guys have any tips for me, please let me know. Well, do you, do you have um, any kind of output goal in mind on a, on a per day per week basis. I know for me, I, like I I've been trying this season to put out something on one of my social channels every day, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. Those are, those are kind of my big three, um, really working on my TikTok game, but you know, sometimes when I'm in a rush, you can, yeah. Give me a follow. Um, I love you. <laughs> I love your TikToks. Absolutely. I love that you do TikTok. I, I consume hours of TikTok, but I feel like when I post, I'm like, hey, kids. <laughs> but I, I like that. I I think I've, I'm done with my Twitter social media goals. You know what I mean? Like I never would be like, I want to hit 100K or something like that. But on Instagram and TikTok, like you said, it's a different story. And also with our Too Many Men podcast Twitter account. I'm really passionate about, okay, let's post these three videos at this time and let's post X amount of tweets about, like I, like I really try to grow that brand and stuff. And that's probably how people use their personal work Twitters. But for me, it's like I pat myself on the back when I don't tweet for a day. Okay. <laughs> like, wow, she really shut up. Good for her. <laughs> that's great. But I, I got to check out the TikTok. I, and you got to give me some TikTok tips because I really feel like oh, Chris. an old woman on that. I, you know what? Like, honestly, I think um, I think the key is to just like throw something at the wall and, and see see if it sticks. You know, I like I'm amazed at some of the most like popular stuff on that app. There's 
you know, all the things you can do to create videos and like the special effects and features that you can use to dress up a video on TikTok, the stuff that goes viral is just like, you know, point and shoot, <laughs> like throw it up like 10 seconds, you know, something on a loop. So that's kind of made me feel like, okay, I'm not some dinosaur in this arena for, you know, Gen Z or something like that. Um, and so it, it's been, it's been fun, but, um, you know, I, I guess I've, yeah, I don't know if it's like swallowing my pride or just whatever kind of word you're or phrase you want to put on it, but I, I've been, uh, I've been going down the, the rabbit hole. So it's, it's been fun though. I, I encourage, I, I think you would be great too. I, I think that, you know, you could just put funny stuff that showcases your humor like you do in other, on other platforms and just, um, they say that it's it's the app that rewards hard work the best. The way their algorithm is is laid out, that if you just are consistent about your posts, you know you will build a following. And I, I found that as well. I mean, I'm only at like two thousand or so followers on on TikTok, but I'm rapidly approaching my Instagram following. And I mean, it's um, you know I'm like putting in as much work on the two platforms. You you reap what you sow. I think a lot faster. In, on TikTok than in, than in Instagram. So Kaylee does a great job on Instagram, by the way. I'll just give her a shout out. I try. I'm, I'm, Chris is a lot braver than me. I find that it's sometimes hard to put yourself out there, but Chris is very good at just going for it in certain <laughs> ways that I am not. And I wonder for you, like, cause you've tweeted so much and you have like thousands of thousands of tweets. Like when you think about, especially from an entertainment perspective or trying to be funny or humorous, like, do you look back at, at things a few years ago and you're just like, why did I tweet that? Or do I delete? Like, part of that is also, I think, I think of things like, oh, in 10 years or in six years, you know, is that something that I'll think was like funny or not? Like, how do you kind of juggle that from an entertainment perspective? Because that's what our job is. <laughs> I do have an app called Semi Feral where it automatically deletes tweets like every year or something and you can tweet like anything that has less than like x amount of likes or something or retweet so i definitely like to keep it clean on that like no digital footprint over here but i <laughs> i think the only things i regret like i don't really care if i told a stupid joke but the things i regret are when i accidentally upset a player or something that i didn't mean to and i've done that a few times and that's something i really really try like sometimes i'll on purpose say what i need to say if that's upsetting somebody that's kind of their own problem and we hash it out. But I think there was one player where I like sarcastically tweeted something that I meant he had like a really good game and I was like, yeah, but he sucks. Right. Because everybody was talking about how he sucks and he liked it. And then on the plane, he was like, so I suck. I was like, Oh, I did not. Mean that. Oh. <laughs> did but you hear about? <laughs> oh yeah. 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 And that's kind of the good thing about that's what I miss about showing up to the rink every day too, is that you can explain yourself, right? And you your mm -hmm. relationships with players go stronger when you're like, listen, I'm just being an idiot on Twitter. Like, do not believe anything I say, but always feel free to come up and talk to me about it. But there's definitely been a few times where I'm getting in trouble and I'm like, well, was it worth it for like a tweet? No. <laughs> do you feel players are pretty receptive to you when, when, when you come in and, and say, look, you know, that's just me, you know, being a goof on, on Twitter. Like, do, do you think players understand that? I think once we have conversations and they see, I'm not really, I'm not the type of person that's kind of like, gotcha. I, I think, 
a lot of players have been burned or at least felt like they've been burned by hockey media before just because of how serious it can be sometimes. But when they realize, oh, like she really is not serious, that I, I think <laughs> we can all get along. But obviously there's times where I, there's, I have my job and they have their job and it's not always going to be in perfect harmony, but you got to have to kind of just accept that sometimes if, if you're me, that I'm not here to make sure that they all love me and that we're all best friends. It's like, there's somewhat of a job to do. Okay. <laughs> well, you were, you know, talking about building your career as a writer. Um, and, and now you're, you're transitioning into more of the broadcast space as well. Uh, especially with your, with your too many men podcast, and just a, as a quick aside, huge fan of the Dan Levitard show with Stu Gotts. Like, honestly, that was one of the shows like I, I listened to. I, I used to work uh, for an ESPN radio affiliate that that put him on when he got uh, Colin Cowherd's old time slot on ESPN radio from like 10 to one or something like that. Um, but then when I even after I left uh, the, the radio community and, and moved to Chicago, I still listen to that show on a regular basis. Me and my roommate uh, at the time were huge fans and, and especially during the pandemic too. I mean, it was like a bright spot in our day to mm -hmm. listen to, to Levitard. So super cool that you are part of the Meadowlark network. And I saw you on the Dan Levitard show during NHL all-star week. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is such a bucket list item for me to be oh, on that show with those guys. I was like, my head was spinning. If you could, if you watch the show, I'm like, okay. But he said the second <laughs> before we get on, he goes, I'm not going to ask you any questions. Just jump in like you're on the show every day. I was like, okay, that's okay, sure. <laughs> but they were all really helpful. I know Chris Whitty just said he's um, doing MLS stuff now and isn't is taking a step back from executive producing, but he was excellent to me and, and working with them even tangentially has been a dream dan has been so good to me and it's one of those things where in the past it's felt like with my social media and everything else like people have tolerated that because they like the work that i do like writing and reporting and stuff like that and meanwhile at levitard they encourage me to do more of the social media stuff and be kind of more of a goofball and say more about what i believe in like that's kind of if you, you listen to the show it's like part of the show to not even really talk about sports mm -hmm. so I have just appreciated that so much and it's kind of given me like a powerful shift in my mind where I'm like, wait, people actually like this and they're not just like tolerating the annoying little problem child of the company. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really like your podcast too. I did some listening before we got to interview you and I think podcasts are so cool in sports, especially because now athletes, you know, who who have this like have always had like a narrative about them, like they can bring it and tell their own story. Chris is a big Aaron Rodgers Packers fan. I think he's one of those people like as of late in the last couple of years who has done <laughs> just that and kind of shattered different stigmas by just being himself and bringing his own story. There's like busting with the boys. There's the Kelsey brothers in the NFL. Um, can you talk about, yeah, there, I mean, I haven't listened to all of them cause I have two little kids and I've told Chris this a million times. Like I pop in audibles on, dietary and sleep routines, not so much podcasts anymore, but 
In between episodes of Paw Patrol. (laughs) Yeah, between my Coco Melon episodes, I squeeze it in. Um, But I am curious, like, from an entertainment standpoint, they're great. Like, what do you you hope that your podcast brings in? In the NHL, like, how much do we kind of need, like, that type of entertainment, like, podcast or something like that, maybe? Or what do you think that we can we can like benefit from to help like grow the sport the way that, you know, NBA or NFL have been able to do so successfully utilizing some of their players. Your podcast is really interesting. It's all women. Um, can you just talk about a little bit about both? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think obviously like you look at the popularity of something like chiclets and you just want there to be like 10 more chiclets, things like that. But it, it's like, it's one of the most popular media productions in hockey period. And they get, they're like, so many followers on Instagram and Twitter and everything like that. And then they have, they just let players be themselves. So if we can just do more of that, uh, I love missing curfew and not being afraid. I don't know. I, I think a lot of times the better question is how can we make sure players feel like they can be themselves without kind of jeopardizing the team aspect of hockey you know how that is like we before I I think they feel sometimes I think this is also why my little NHL style rankings have done well and the players like contact me about it and they really care about it it's because they don't have to talk about themselves but they can still express themselves Mm. and I want to be like no feel free to talk about yourself but they don't want to get in trouble for maybe talking about themselves, you know, you know how it is in hockey culture. So I think just more normalizing. I think Trevor Zegris, say what you will about him. I think he's great to have a personality like that. I think Jack Hughes is awesome too. And these younger kids I think are ushering in maybe a more fun. There's some on the Blackhawks too, now that there's like so many younger guys. So I, I, I just real quick, um, I need to nominate someone Lucas Reichel for our for for okay. your style um, rankings. He's got this awesome blue checkered suit that uh, right. I think I think is a ten out of ten. I, I think it's I think it's lights out. You know, it, for a guy, he's he's twenty years old. He's a rookie. I don't think it's too loud. I don't think he comes across as braggadocious or cocky or anything like that. But I mean, it. I think Kaylee's heard me you know, yeah. rave. It's almost like I got a man crush on the guy or something, but <laughs> it's a nice suit. So keep an eye out for that. If you see it, Lucas Reichel, keep an eye out. Toss me the pick after the show. I don't know if the Blackhawks, the, the problem with this too sometimes is some teams don't post it, these like pregame photos as much and other ones are constantly posting. So then I get like oversaturated with certain okay. teams, but it, I understand, especially like the teams that aren't necessarily at the top of the list, the, or the top of the standings these days. It's like every time they try to post something about fashion, there's a million comments that are like, just win the game. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> who's your top ranked, uh, one of your top ranked fashionistas. No stuff on the Blackhawks or in general, in, gen- in general, have you, do you have a Blackhawks one? Um, I was going to say Max Domi, he's not on the team anymore, so not him anymore, but that was a short-lived little stint. We, we miss, we miss Max. He was a great guy. He great was, to have yeah, personality. I, I mean, David Pasternak, Patrick Laine. Laine isn't everyone's cup of tea, but I respect a disruptor, right? And sometimes I don't love his outfits, but I do respect them, if that makes sense. <laughs> Just doing what he wants, and he has, like, a fun little prop. But Pasternak probably has the best style. I think Ryan Reeves is really underrated. Ke'Andre Miller. There's a few. So the question that I hear asked a lot, um, you know, it's kind of like the, maybe the unspoken question is, is hockey hip 
enough or, or cool enough or trendy enough. Do you think that's the right question to ask, um, you know, w- when, when it comes to just keeping the game culturally relevant to young fans? Um, or or is, is there something is there something else like some other angle that that needs to be taken or are we are we overthinking it? I think we might be overthinking it and that's the uncoolest thing you could do, right? I think sometimes when you try too hard to be hip and not just be yourself, what is cool about hockey? Hockey is the best sport hands down in my opinion because of the way that it's played and everything about the sport itself. So maybe let's make more of an emphasis on that. You can't force something to be something that it's not. So when we say it's not cool, first of all, I'd ask, what do we really mean by that? And how can we change it? I have thoughts on, I don't think there should be a salary cap because Mm. I think we need more stars. And I think Connor McDavid should be winning a cup right now. I want to see him in the cup. I want to see, I don't know. I I think for it to be popular in America, we kind of need a few more stars here. We need them to be marketed. I think we're trending in the right direction though. I've seen Miller pack up a few um, sponsorships. I've seen Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews with their fashion sponsorships. I kind of like what Matthews is doing, but that's Toronto. It's always going to be popular there. We just, I think we're trending in the right direction, but I do think forcing it is more of a problem than being uncool. I, I did want to just loop back uh, briefly to to podcasts, and uh, especially you know having you on, and as you get more involved in podcasting, if you have, we're trying to build up the Blackhawks Insider Podcast as well. You know, as you can see. Uh, you know, this backdrop, you know, I, I wish I could do it in front of these curtains every show. Uh, but all kidding aside, what what have you learned about the podcasting world as far as what kind of clicks there? I think you can't be afraid to say, like have a actual honest conversation about stuff or just uh, there's that. And I think the way you market it is really important too. like sometimes this morning uh, when the fanatics partnership was announced with the NHL I remembered we had a clip from that from one episode and I was like oh let's post the clip with the video and stuff and then it did numbers just because I just had remembered that so I think keeping stock of like your social media posts and trying to keep track of how well which episodes do well which don't um there's a lot of weird algorithm stuff like we were talking about before too where like you have to post x amount of days I think just staying consistent with it really does help and I don't know. Sometimes having, I'm not, I'm not saying I, me, like keep having me on the podcast, but I think like having interest and in, don't think sure. no, I'm not too, <laughs> right, but like interesting <laughs> guests or if some, it, the timing of when something interesting happens with the Blackhawks, go record something quick. And it's a pain in the butt sometimes, but that's when you really do get those numbers. Well, that, that is great advice. And I, I know that our producer Trevor Bray is taking note of that. Um, look, we, like we, work. <laughs> no, it, 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 we we tinkered with that a little bit around the trade deadline, especially with how uh, active the Blackhawks were, of course. And, and you know, we were able to get our general manager, Kyle Davidson, on, you know, pretty much minutes after the, the trade deadline hit. And, and that was a great episode for us. We had a lot of downloads. So, again, that, that immediacy can definitely be used uh, to your advantage when you have that card to play. But... Um, you're an open book, Sarah. There are so many topics going on in the game right now that we could talk to you about. Um, but we really appreciate you coming on. We, we'll we'll let you go, but let's uh, 
let's keep this open-ended. We would absolutely love to, to have you on again and uh, continue doing your thing in hockey. Um, I would just say, as it coming in, coming into the sport, I didn't really grow up uh, around the game like a, like a lot of hockey fans do, but I have really, really just loved being a part of the, the hockey community, learning about the game, learning about the NHL uh, in particular. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping for the continued growth and success of the game on and off the ice and um, really looking forward to keeping in touch. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime you guys want me on, I'll come on. Thanks for all the, the kind words. You really pumped my tires. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. You're great. Of course. Thanks so much. Well, that was a great interview with Sarah Siv. So much knowledge, experience. Um, she's just incredible. Her brand and what she's been able to do relating to fans, players on social media, big Twitter following. That's kind of her bread and butter, as she talked about, and was really insightful with the kind of information she wants to relay to fans and also just getting hockey players and the NHL and the sport um, kind of more at the forefront of pop culture and sports culture and all that kind of stuff. So she does a tremendous job being opinionated, having fun and trying to bring players a little bit out of their shell Colby and kind of be more interactive on social media with the fans. That's what we all want. Yeah, and it's actually a nice little segue because um, my favorite part of the show, always sellies and chirps. Normally, you're bringing the heat, Kaylee, and you're usually getting me all getting me all going and all fired up with some good debate topic. You've kind of changed sellies and chirps to like, let's just see how many buttons I can press in uh, this week's episode. But um, talking about you know Sarah's social media following, Twitter, uh, there's been a lot of Twitter talk lately in the news. I mean, Elon Musk bought the company. It's been kind of interesting to see people sort of melting down over it, which I, I just like, I've, I've always been kind of unbothered by it because I'm just like, nothing has really changed. Um, and the blue check debacle. I mean, it's been really funny to see how up in arms people have been LeBron James tweets I'm not paying five bucks for a blue check and it's funny when like a guy who's worth like a billion dollars doesn't want to shell out five bucks I, I just like kind of laughed at that the New York Times they lost their blue check mark like it's just funny to see all the stuff going on um, and then at the end of the um, it, I'm actually pulling it up on my phone right now because I'm going to read it so now, if you were a legacy blue check mark on Twitter, which is what like you and I would be, right? Legacy blue checks versus the new subscription. Now, if you click it, it says this account is verified because it's subscribed to Twitter Blue or it's a legacy verified account. So they made it so you'll never know if it's a person of importance or if it's a verified account. Me personally, I like this whole thing. And I'll tell you why, because it forces people to put their real identity um, into their Twitter account. And I think people would be like more accountable for what they're saying on Twitter because people say nasty stuff on Twitter. I mean, they really do. It, it's crazy um, things people say on Twitter. So I've enjoyed this whole blue check mark debacle. Um, it's just been funny to see people getting all angry. Uh, so I'm I'm going to celebrate it, Kaylee, but I'm just curious from your perspective. Have you followed it? Are you chirping it? Do you think the paid subscription is ridiculous? Um, do you agree with the fact that they want to earn revenue? Like where, where do you sit on this topic? Well, as part of being verified, is that 
to ensure that it's a real person with their identity and not a, a bot? Is that what that yeah. that is for? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then in that sense, I'll, I did not follow this. As soon as I saw it, I was like, I don't care. I'm also not going to pay $5. Yeah, oh, I wouldn't have paid for it. And I don't care. I guess at a principle. So I, I think it is funny LeBron James won't either. But yeah, it, it's it's weird. I, it makes more sense now that you say that, that it's just to eliminate people who are not verified as people on there and at least gives them an identity that they have to be forthcoming with. So maybe that cleans up some of the small percentage of people that do a lot of damage and ruin it for the rest of us that want to enjoy what Twitter should be more of. Um, so I'll celebrate it with you. I think... I think it's funny. I yeah, I did funny. not read more into it. I just wasn't too paranoid about losing the check mark yeah. or not, or what that means to me. My Twitter game stinks. So <laughs> yeah, but I'm your Instagram, but your Instagram story game is very good though. So thanks. I'm a, where, yeah, I'm a big Instagram. Story. Where like my Instagram <laughs> game is awful, and I feel way stronger <laughs> about my ability to to tweet. So we're we're. We're like, you know, we, we're, we're yin and yang. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're you're giving like, them yeah, one thing. I'm giving them another thing. <laughs> but at the end of the day, just funny. I would just, people just shouldn't get so up in arms. Like, let's just wait and see what happens. That's what I would say. Because at the end of the day, nobody mm-hmm. lost their blue check. Now you can't tell who has a blue check and who didn't. You know, who's paying and who's not. You know, equity for all. And, you know, just take a deep breath sometimes and just wait for it to happen before you get all upset. That, that's that's all funny for me. The, the Internet does not take a deep no, breath, no. but that's wishful yes. thinking. Um, all right, I'll Kaylee, what do you probably. what do you got for us? You, are you going to stir this me up today? Or no? I, I like the button. No, I usually like the buttons more when it's the three of us because it brings three different angles. Maybe that'll get it going. But last week when when I was talking to Chris, it did make me think because i usually get going on halloween ideas because i like to handcraft them long time in advance so i will ask do you celebrate and you have a baby now so you do have to put more thought and effort into a the halloween costume b the creative side of it and how much time you're gonna have to do it all so do you celebrate or chirp having your halloween costume picked out by late spring let's say may early june um i think that i would celebrate it and I've never really done that before. I've always been like a last second, like when I was in college, like, oh my God, we need a costume. We're going out tonight, whatever. I was never like well in advance, but I was always jealous of the people that like crushed Halloween. And my wife <laughs> crushes Halloween every year. She made me dress up as Willy Wonka a couple years ago and she was Violet and like did the blue face paint. And people yeah, were, people were like, like the costumes look legit. I mean, she sourced this costume from Amazon, the jacket. I mean, it looked like it matched up to the picture. I was like, and and she did it for like very little money, which I was very impressed about. I mean, she was like on <laughs> Alibaba ordering things from like China. Like I was like, wow. So my, my wife has, has gone above and beyond one year. She was the mother of, you know, she was the mother of dragons. Her whole head was blonde. Like, you know, Alex has a big dark head of hair. So it was like, so she goes all in. I've always thought it's kind of cool. Now that I have a daughter, can't wait to go trick-or-treating. Can't wait to dress her up as like a cute little lion or like a golden retriever or something like that. Um, but <laughs> now I'm going to be leaning on you, Kaylee, because I know you've already made all these costumes that probably don't fit Bella anymore. So I'm going to be leaning on you a little bit. But I'm celebrating with you on this. I think that um, balling out on Halloween is cool, even though it's never been my thing. I've always been a little jealous of it. 
Okay, I'm happy to hear that. Do you know um, what little Sloan is going to be? I, the, being a puppy for your first is always kind of an iconic, traditional rite of pass. So I, I feel like for you, that's right up your alley. Yeah, well, we'll dress her up to look like Oliver. <laughs> the, Stroms, the Stroms did that, maybe, and, and it was like the cutest thing I've ever seen with their daughter. They dressed her up like they're, they're golden and... Like I had like tears streaming down my cheeks when I was looking at this photo. Like it was just the cutest thing I've ever seen. So hopefully we can, uh, we can step up to the plate this year. Yes. Well, make sure you get lots of pictures. That's probably one of my only regrets when I handcrafted all of my college getups. It wasn't social media esque then. So Polaroids. I just never took any pictures. We literally had Polaroids. So we would avoid anything going anywhere. What about, what about the Chelios clan? Like what's the plan this year? I mean, you've got, you've got a clan and I hope you're roping your dad. I hope you're roping your dad into this stuff, especially after the thing we saw (laughs) the other day with him doing this with the hands. I mean, we were like dying laughing watching that whole thing. Um, Yeah. We don't, we don't have ours for next year quite picked out yet. Danny was on a hunting trip, my husband last year. So we missed Fred Flintstone. It was kind of an essential part of the Flintstone gang. Basically Fred Flintstone too. (laughs) a little bit yeah a little more handy but just goes outside and just builds things with his hands (laughs) guy's a legend i know so i'm going to i'm going to implore him to build something for our wagon with the kids this year i don't know what it's going to be we did scooby-doo gang a couple years ago it was a hit i think i was manifesting the red hair so we'll see this year we we still got to get something going but lots of pictures lots of time to decide what we're going to do and uh, I'm, I'm excited to hear what Vosters is thinking about doing next year as well. So that's going to just about do it for us on this week's episode uh, on the podcast. So thank you very much to our great partner, Chevy. And for all of our listeners, um, anybody who's joining in, there's going to be plenty more content available on Blackhawks.com. Would love to give a shout out and a lot of credit to brad dollar and southside jake for the music featured on the podcast and once again thank you to our partners with chevy drive with the captain jonathan taze drives that's going to do it for blackhawks insider for colby cohen i'm kaylee chelios be sure to tune in and watch all of our videos on blackhawks.com